Conley's right. If you if you read the backstory on that uh, from John Newton, it is uh, it's amazing that what he went through and uh, we're, like it said, we're in grace will lead me home. It's uh, it's amazing. That's why I like hymns. Uh, the hymn songs that we sing have a story. Uh, it's not about making a dollar like the new stuff is. It's got a story. It has a history, and it means so much to me. Reading the hymns is almost like reading your Bible sometimes because there's so much power behind what is in there, and I absolutely love. That's why I will always be a firm believer in uh, singing hymns, just because of the story behind them. Uh, we got a lot going on, uh, and I hope everybody get their little bookmarks. Paisley went to bed late and got up early, just making these for y'all. Uh, so that's your little Valentine's from Paisley. <laughs> if you didn't get one, uh, find her after church, and she'll give it to you. Uh, but we've got a lot, a lot going on still, and I've seen that a while ago about Emily. Uh, she's taking a little back set, uh, which is not it's not what was expected because she was doing so good there for a while. and then uh, So she's back in ICU, back in the same bed that she was brought into. So remember Emily Jones, remember um, her family as well. A lot going on there. Uh, needs prayer. Um, and then who else? I'm, I'm losing it there. Cl- uh, we just talking about it. what's her name? Just left me. She's over in Watauga. Chloe. Chloe, thank you. Nothing's really changed with her, has it, in the past few days? So, uh, Chloe Garwood. Garwood? Pretty sure. That was her mom, anyway. I know her mom. Uh, remember that one as well? No, it's, if, if you notice what's going on here lately, it's a lot of young people. Lots of young people being sick right now, being put in the hospital, just a lot going on. A boy not much younger than, than me, um, just stresses a life. He committed suicide a couple weeks ago, just found out. I mean, there's just a lot going on. and uh, Just being prayer, still have Preston in the hospital. Uh, he he's, keeps getting better and better, so that's looking good. Appreciate the prayers there. Um, and then me and Dad was talking Friday, uh, and, and about a week he had lost eight close friends in a week and then we found out uh, we had lost two more two days after I talked to him he lost two more friends and then yesterday we, morning we found out that we had lost two more close friends from down at my grandma's in, in the Bailey's camp area um, so just a lot going on I feel like the Lord is uh, pre- trying to prepare us for something or something you know getting ready to take place with with his church so I hope uh, and pray everybody is ready for whatever he has in store um, don't know what it might be but just a lot going on, but uh, just keep praying. Stay on your knees as much as possible. Uh, pray for Carolyn. She's getting ready to have a little procedure done in a few days. Uh, just remember the, her and the family there. Um, and then Cody, my nephew, um, he's he's doing better. Um, they they took the baclofen pump out. I told you all about that. He's taking oral baclofen now to help with his tone, um, but he's still having some side effects, some withdrawals from the pump not being installed where it would give him the baclofen constantly. Um, he's taking it, I think he's taking it, is it oral or by port? Either one of y'all remember, I can't remember. They're getting ready to take the port out, so I think the port was for antibiotics, so he's taking his baclofen orally, um, but they will have to install, reinstall the pump in about two more months. Uh, uh, Leanne, my sister's really stressing over that one, but uh, you know it's for his best interest, so just remember, remember them in, in prayer as well. Any others? No, we got a lot going on. Okay. I remember that. Any others? Remember that. That's that dangerous. That's stroke. Any others? I'm just glad we can come back to church and, and pray over these because, I mean, I know y'all prayed at home, but it sure is nice to be here with y'all. <laughs> All right, let's, let's open up in prayer. Uh, God, this morning, as uh, we start out this morning, uh, Lord, we started out with your people here in your house, and Lord, we're getting ready to read your word. But, Lord, we want to bring these petitions to you this morning, Lord, as, as the Father of all, Lord, as the Creator of all, as, as the one that knows all and sees all and has felt all. God, I pray that you would just hear these cries this morning. Lord, we have so many in our hearts and in our homes and in our churches and this community, Lord, that are struggling. 
Lord, they're struggling with sickness. They're, they're struggling with sin. Lord, they're struggling with, with all kinds of ailments in their lives, Lord, that uh, they can't take care of. There's no doctor here on earth that can touch what's going on. But, Lord, you can. And so this morning, Lord, we want to lift up these prayer requests for you, for, the, uh, for this custodian, Lord, as he goes in for an extremely dangerous uh, procedure tomorrow. Lord, I pray that you would guide those hands of the doctors. Uh, Lord, be with the staff there as they uh, do this procedure, Lord. And, Lord, just ask that you would uh, touch and move there. And, Lord, with this lady that Rita had mentioned here that found her son, 33 years old, passed away. Lord, I, I pray that you would grant her great peace and a great comfort. Um, Lord, just, uh, Lord, she brought this young man into the world, and Lord, just the thoughts of having to see him gone, I know has got to be heartbreaking, but Lord, you can grant her that peace, you can grant her that comfort that no one else here can, and Lord, we just ask for that today. Lord, Lord we watched you work these miracles, Lord, just uh, hearing the report that Mary, all her tests come back good, and she don't have to go back for a few more months, that's, that's you, God, that's a miracle, and we thank you for that. And, Lord, I just pray that you would be with Carolyn uh, in a few days, Lord, as she goes in for a procedure. Lord, just uh, be with those doctors as well and just uh, grant a lot of grace and, and a lot of peace in, in those days. And, Father, for all the others that are unspoken, Lord, we just ask that you would uh, just hear them, hear those cries, Lord, and just have uh, your willing way with all of them. Lord, again, thank you for allowing us to come back to your house this morning and be with your people in worship. All in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to be over in Matthew chapter 5, over towards the tail end of it this morning. And it is Valentine's Day. So you probably thought, oh, he's going to get all sappy and talk about lovey-dovey stuff. And I'm not. I'm going to talk about love, but not the what kind of love you're thinking about. Uh, we're going to, we are going to kind of look at something that we don't talk about a lot. We try not to talk about it a lot. Preachers don't like to preach about it much. Uh, and it is love. It is love. But it's a certain type of love that we don't like to talk about. And there's a lot of subjects mentioned in the Bible um, that aren't preached on enough. And, and nowadays, one of the subjects that's not preached on enough is sin. But another one is relationship. Relationship. We, we think about relationships. We've all had or are in or been in a relationship. Some good, some not so good. But we've all been in these relationship, relationships. So God, what he's doing right now is creating a family of believers here on earth that are going to be spending a lot of time together in the near future. And I'm talking about eternity. God is preparing us all. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all believers in Jesus. And so what he's doing through the church and through all these other different avenues that he likes to use he is trying to prepare us for a time that we can spend together in eternity. And we talk about it a lot, with, with, especially with revivals and, and, uh, and, and things where we use other churches come together. And I'm not talking about other Baptist churches. I'm talking about the other churches. One of the things I'm doing right now uh, at, at the office is I'm putting together a pastors-only Israel trip, Holy Land trip. We're going to be leaving in the end of July to go. And so my boss tasked me with getting the pastors together. What's the first thing I do? I go to every pastor I know that reads King James and, and sings red hymns. That's the first thing I did because I want us all to be like-minded when we get on that Jesus boat out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And when we go out there and sing, I don't want somebody coming up with a 7-Eleven song the rest of us don't know. I want us to be able to crack open, and, and if we decide to sing Amazing Grace or, or whatever it is, that all of us know it. But guess who's going with us? i got a Presbyterian preacher going with us. i got Michael McKee over in Newland going with us. I thank the world of that man. You know what? He's Presbyterian. I'm Baptist. We're going to heaven together. I know Methodist. I think a lot of, for the most part. And we're going to heaven together. We might not agree completely on doctrine and theology, but we all have this one belief, and that's in Jesus. We're going to fight. We're going to argue. That was the worst part about working at Samaritan's Purse. Is we, you, have, I don't know if you got into those conversations or not, but, man, there's some of them that I, I don't even know. I just don't know, to be honest with you. <laughs> there's some lost people there. But you, 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 you have these conversations with other denominations, and you start, you start fighting and, and bickering about theology and you've missed the whole point you're missing jesus you've taken jesus out of the, out of the bible when you start arguing this what god is doing right now is preparing us he's saying you got to put your differences aside yes like like mark lowry said y'all know who mark lowry is the comedian sung with bill gaither he said when we get to heaven we're going to find out we're all wrong about something 
I think we're going to be right about everything <laughs> the Baptists are, <laughs> and we'll fight them for it. But we're, we're, he's preparing us. He says, y'all are going to be spending a lot of time together up here, so get over it on earth. You need to get over your differences on earth. You need to get, you need to get over any, any uh, bad thoughts or anything that you got going on in your mind right now, and you've got you to be preparing yourself for what you're going to be experiencing when we get to heaven, and I believe that. So he's, what he's doing right now is he's trying to get us to build relationships. He wants us to build relationships with one another, and it's not just inside this church. He's saying get outside the church. You go outside the four walls of your church and start building up these relationships. So he wants us to live together as a family and to love each other, and that includes the two people that we don't like to talk about, our neighbors and our enemies. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Love your neighbors, love your enemies. Yeah, you thought we were going to talk about loving your spouse, didn't you? Mm -mm. That's easy to do sometimes. What's hard to do is to love your neighbor and love your enemy. God commands us to do both. Love your enemy, love your neighbor. We all have neighbors. Some of us have neighbors that are enemies. We all have them, do we not? Come on. Bill, I'm sure Bill's, yeah. <laughs> we all have those people that just absolutely rub us the wrong way. We got one straight across, and all he wants to do is shoot guns and, and rev up motors all day long. Especially, he doesn't do it until I'm in my office studying. That's when he likes to fire it up. And then the other neighbor's got a yelping dog that barks when the wind blows. So I, I thought it was Mike for a minute, one of Mike's dogs. <laughs> no, when it's, it's a mop head with four legs, and it yelps constantly. <laughs> so the two people he's telling us to love is our neighbors and our enemies, and that is the two people that we struggle with the most. But God tells us that if we can love them, we're going to be more like him. If we can love our neighbors, if we will love our enemies, we are more like Jesus than we have, can ever imagine. That's what we're supposed to be. Christians are Christ-like. So we can strive to, to live a sinless life, which we cannot, we can't, we can't meet that, but we can try really hard to live a sinless, the most perfect life possible. We want to be like Jesus. So we can love one another like Jesus. But we tend to stop when we say love one another. We always stop at our spouse or our family. We always say, I just can't do that with my enemies. I cannot do that with my neighbors. But Jesus is telling us, he says, you've got you to go that step further, two steps further, and love your enemies, love your neighbors. So today Jesus is going to teach us the purpose of loving. There's a reason behind this loving. And so we're going to talk about how we are to love our neighbors and our enemies. If you got your Bible, stand with me. We're going to be over again, Matthew 5.43. Matthew 5.43. Bible starts out, it says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Jerry, will you open us up, please? Amen. You can have a seat. First thing we're going to look at this morning is the great misinterpretation of love. Did you know that you can misinterpret love? We do. We have, a lot of people have misinterpreted love, and I'm going to take you back to some Old Testament stuff here in just a moment. But if you'll look back at verse 43, it says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. That's a misconception right there. That's something that's been misinterpreted. And Jesus is calling them out on it. 
We need to be called out. We need to be convicted of some of the things that we think are right or wrong, I guess, more. Uh, so we've got to be called out. And so Jesus himself right here is calling them out. The law said, love thy neighbors as thyself. <clears throat> if you go back into Leviticus 19.18, the Bible says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So Israel made two fatal mistakes interpreting the law. Fatal mistakes. We tend to do the same thing right here. The first thing they did, they said, well, neighbor meant only uh, the people of their own community, their own religion, their own family. We do the same thing. That's who we think is our neighbors, just those around us, those that are within a stone's throw away, those people that we can we could probably step out on the porch and holler at and they'd answer back. That's who we think our neighbor is. And they didn't include anyone else. And we tend not to include anyone else in our neighborhoods around here. In fact, they shut out and cut off, and we do too, the people that need to be closer to us, the people that are our enemies. They kind of are our neighbors too. So we need to be drawing them into ourselves, drawing them into our communities, into our neighborhoods. And we're going to read some stuff here in a minute to make uh, to clear up what a neighbor is. But the second thing, they thought that they were to hate their enemies. Hate their enemies. Hate is a strong word. That's something the girls will tell you that we say often, to never say the word hate. You might dislike something. Hate is a strong, strong word. God, there's some things that he hates. But we shouldn't be hating on anybody. We might not agree with them, but we are to love them and not hate them. God said, love your neighbor. So they reasoned, and what they did was they added, hate your enemy. They added that. The children of Israel added that on themselves. That wasn't biblical. That didn't come from God. God don't tell you to hate somebody else. God says you got to love everybody. It don't matter what make, model, color. It don't matter. God said you got to love them. Not hate them. So they added it in there themselves. Human reason actually leads a person to think that they should oppose and hate their enemies. That's what, that's what we think. That's our reasoning behind it. We don't get along with them, I'm going to hate them. I don't like the way they look, I'm going to hate them. I don't like the way they sing, I'm going to hate them. I don't like those four trucks they drive, Mike, I'm going to hate them. That's not what he says. God said love them. Love Mike for his truck, okay? Love them for the way they might look. They might not look the best in the world. I'm not talking about you on that one, Mike. Sorry. Don't, don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> he, said, he said, love them. Nat's going to have to hurry up and come back because I'm going to wear Mike out. <laughs> A lot of people fall in that same mistake that Israel did. The same mistake that Israel did. They interpreted neighbors to be only their friends and those that lived close by. He's saying, no, it's, it's way beyond that. It's further than that. You're going to have get, get further than, than Jerusalem. Get further than Israel. Get further than Jordan. Get further than Turkey. He said, get further than Egypt. He said, take them all. God told us to go to all four corners of the earth and preach the gospel. So everything between all four corners of the earth is your neighbor. North, south, east, and west, that's your neighbor. As far as the east is from the west, those are your neighbors. Whoever falls in between that, that is your neighbors. That is who we are to love. And we are to... It's hard, I know, but we are to try our best to show them godly love. Now, does that mean that we have to hang out with them even if we don't get along with them? Absolutely not. You don't have to. But in our hearts, we are to truly love them. Hard to do, I know, but we are to love them. There's people in my life I don't want to be around. I'd rather not be around. They're ungodly people. But God told me, and he's telling you, you got to love those people, even though you might not like them. I remember telling my sister that one time, I always love you, but I might not like you. That's the truth. <laughs> Back then, not now. We've got to love them, love on them. They never think of their enemies uh, or, or anybody in this world as, as a whole as their neighbors. But our, our neighbors are this. If you want to follow along, guess where we're going? You probably already caught that. We're going to be over in Luke 10 for just a moment. Because this is good stuff. This is Jesus telling us who our neighbor is. If you don't know this story, uh, 
don't know where you've been. Luke 10, 25 says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And, then, and he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And here's the answer. Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto them that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. That's your neighbor. That's your neighbor. If anybody's in a ditch, if anybody's hurting, you help them. You, you, you bind up their wounds emotionally, physically, whatever you got to do. You reach out and you touch someone. You might not know them. You don't need to know them to help your neighbor out. Those are the, I like helping those better than my own neighbors. Those people I've never met, don't know them from Adam. Reach out and give them a hand. Help them. Pour, pour that oil and wine in their wounds. Bind up whatever's going on with them and love on them. And that's your neighbor. That's the ones that God wants us to love. And that's everybody. Because everybody is hurting at some point in their lives. Number two, the real meaning of, of the law of love. The law to love. I'm sorry. The real meaning of the law to love. Matthew 5.44 again. It tells us, But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which to uh, despitefully use you and persecute you now when you read that does it just not just almost make you mad sometimes god is telling us who to love and he says i mean if you read that but i say unto you love your enemies now that hurts right there bless them that curse you that one hurts right there do good to them that hate you that one hurts and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you them two hurt so you read that, and your whole mind, you're not thinking, this is what Jesus is telling me to do. It's like, how can I do this? I don't like these people. They have hurt me. They persecuted me. They're torturing me. How am I supposed to love these people? Jesus says, just do it. Just do it. If you think about Jesus on the cross, if you take what I just read right there, verse 44, if you take that, and you think about Jesus hanging up on this cross, then you think about it that way. The ones that persecuted him, the ones that scourged him, the ones that placed that crown on his head, the ones that whipped him and they beat him and they plucked his beard. Guess what? He's hanging on that cross and he's looking down at everybody and he loved them. If my Jesus dying on a cross, blood just drenching from him, if he can hang up there and still love the ones persecuting him, I can love the ones that's called me a bad name. I can love the ones that have started a life about me. I can love the ones that might look at me funny. Because my Jesus on that cross went above and beyond what I could ever imagine for being persecuted. And he loved those that hated him, that despised him. He loved them. I can love others. Now, the real meaning of the law of love it involves two acts. All right, The first act is love your enemies. We know that. Love your enemies. That's an act. Love is an act. So we've got to love our enemies. As believers, we are to love everyone. Hard to do, I know, but we got to. Loving our enemies is, uh, is a, it's, <laughs> we'll just say it's against human nature. How about that? That ain't right. Every one of y'all probably sitting there this morning thinking, it ain't right. You ain't supposed to love your enemies. Yeah, you are, because the Bible told us to. Love your enemies. The behavior of, of human nature what is it for us? What do we want to do when it comes to our enemies? 
we want to we react. When they say something to us, we, we want to react just like that. We want to we bust their nose is what we want to do. Smack them in the teeth, throat punch them. You know, we, we get mad. That's what we want to do. But that's opposite of what God wants us to do. He says love them. He wants, or we want to hate them. We want to wish hurt on our enemies. But Jesus said, no, you can't do that. At best, this old flesh that we're living in right now, we want to just give them the cold shoulder. or You know, that's, that's what we want to do. Our enemies, we don't want to love them. We want to give them cold shoulder, and we want to keep our distance. Not the COVID distance. We just don't want to be around them. We don't want to be close to them because we get mad when we're around them. And the, the second act that we got to do is pray for those who persecute us. Now, that's, I will have to say, that's a little bit easier to do than to love somebody, ain't it? To pray for somebody that's persecuting you. It's a little bit easier to do than just love on them. Now, there's three things we've got to look at when it comes to praying for those that persecute us. The first thing is we've got to pray for God to forgive the persecutor. Well, you know he's going to. But that's, that's kind of part of our prayers. Lord, they have done me wrong. They've said this. They've done this. Lord, forgive them where, where they have failed me, where they have done me wrong. And, of course, we know that God will do that. And the second thing, we've got to pray for peace between yourself and the persecutor. Now, that's, a, that's another hard part, that peace between us and them. But we've got to pray for it. We've got to ask for it. We've got to mean it, though. That's the, that's the thing. It's easy just to get down and throw up a Hail Mary and say, Lord, just help us get along. But to mean it, that's, that's the hard part. Lord, really, help us get along. Help us get over whatever this, this thing is between us. Help us get over it. But the third thing, and this is one of the most important things, when we've we got to pray for the person persecuting us, this is, this is the one you've got to hang on to and you've got to do. Pray for their salvation. That, think about it. Pray for their salvation. We don't know that they're saved. We might assume. But I, I stand up here on Sundays, or whenever I'm up here, whenever I preach, home or wherever I might be preaching. But I preach just like there's some people in this church that ain't saved. Some of y'all probably sit there on Sundays and you wonder, why is he preaching salvation so often? Somebody in here ain't saved. And at some point, they will be. But I, in my mind, I don't know because that's between you and God. So I don't know who is saved and who isn't saved. Find out when I get to heaven. Don't fool yourselves. Okay? Make sure you got things right. I'm not going to preach salvation today, but that's between you and God. But we are to pray for those, the salvation of those that are persecuting us. That's part of it. Pray for God to forgive them. Pray for a bridge to, to, to get you two back together. And then pray for salvation. Pray for their salvation. Pray for those who persecute you. It will benefit you. I promise you that. How many of y'all, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of y'all have had an ought with somebody? You've had it out with them. They said something about you. They've done something to you. And you've had it out with them. And you prayed for them. And then you got a sweet peace. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. If you don't pray for them, you don't ask God to help you get through that situation, you're going to be a bitter person. You're going to be a hateful person. So God's telling us we've got to pray, ask for, for that forgiveness, and, and, and try to get over the situation, whatever they're doing to persecute you, so that you don't become bitter. Number three, the incentive of love. There's an incentive of love that we get that's out there if you'll go back to verse 45 again it says that ye may be the children of israel which is in heaven for the maketh for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust for if we love them which love you for if ye love them which love you what reward have ye do not even the publicans the same and if Ye salute your brethren only. What do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. The incentive to love everyone as a true neighbor is it's threefold. It's threefold. So the first thing we're going to look at is love makes us a child of God. That's one of the, that's one of the great benefits of salvation. Number one, of course, you, you, eternal home in heaven. That's great. That's, that's number one right there. You've got a love for Jesus 
but then you have this, you start having this love for others. When you get saved, you start feeling this warm feeling. You start, things change. The hatred you had towards someone after salvation tends to go away. And you start to feel differently towards them. You start getting that love. Love is unmistakably the proof that a person loves and truly knows God. That's how you know someone's got it. Because they may be loving on somebody that's unlovable to most other people. But because we have the Holy Spirit, we tend to be able to, to love others. First John, we know this, First John 4, 7, and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. Right here, right here, right in the old ticker. That's God. When you get that warm, fuzzy feeling, whenever you, you come up to somebody that you might have despised your whole life, and you come up to them after salvation, you, you start carrying on that conversation with them, and you start talking about the good old days, that's because God is moving in you. And he is using you in a great way. You have become a lot to that person. Maybe that person is not saved. Maybe because of you, they will come to know Jesus. A true believer can't hate another person. You cannot hate. You don't have it in you. Again, you might not like. Kristen, are you okay? That looks painful. Ethan's trying to cram a candle up her nose for those that can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, got me sidetracked there. A true believer can't hate. It's not in you to hate. As a Christian, you shouldn't, honestly, you couldn't hate someone. Now, again, you might not like them that much sometimes, but you cannot hate them. I know it's a lot to ask. But if someone says they love God and hates some other person, whether a friend or enemy, whatever it might be, they need to search their hearts. There are people that we just don't get along with, but you cannot hate them. You can agree to disagree. I'm, I'm all right with that. We do that often. I agree to disagree, but you got to love them. you got to love them. Second thing, again, this is threefold, love makes a person like God. Not like a God, but love makes you more like Jesus. Let's put it like that. More Christ-like. God loves his enemies. He calls us, what we just read right here, I'm going to read again. He said, He maketh the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. That's that little verse that we don't tend to focus on enough. God loves everybody. Even the people that are going to split hell wide open because they have rejected his son, Jesus Christ, he still loves them. Can you imagine that? These people don't want Jesus in their lives. These people don't want to hear the gospel. These people don't want to go to church. He still loves them. He's still going to send the rain for them. He's still going to send the sun for them. S-U-N-S-O-N. He sent them both. He said, just because they've rejected me, just because they don't like me, I'm not going to take away the sunlight. Just because they won't acknowledge me, I'm not going to take away the rain. I love them. And so I'm going to give them exactly what I would give my children. That's the kind of love he has. That's the kind of love we can't imagine. That's that agape love we talk about all the time. That's that big love, that big God love. But he loves us that much. And he loves the sinner. He loves the sinner hates the sin but he loves a sinner and that's the way we're supposed to be we are to dislike the sin that that person is living in whatever it might be they might be dabbling in drugs and alcohol and all these sinful things of this world they're they're messing in it we are to dislike that we are i don't for me i don't mind to hate sin i don't know about y'all it don't bother me one one bit to hate sin not just dislike it Sin is bad. Sin separates us. It separates us from God, but it can also drive a wedge between you and your family and your friends. I don't want a wedge between me and my family and my friends. I don't like sin. God said, don't like that sin, 
but you better love that sinner. No matter how bad it is, you got to love that sinner. As a Christian, we are to be just like Jesus. That's our goal. That's what we're to strive for on a daily basis. Be as much like him as possible. When we love our enemies and pray for those that persecute us, then I'm being more like God than any other time in my life. It's easy to get up in the mornings, say your prayers, drink your coffee, or your hot chocolate. I still can't get her to drink coffee. Whatever you do in the mornings. It's easy to get up, take your shower, clean up, go out and be a light. Go out and, and, and try to tell others about Jesus, or at least let people see Jesus on you. That's the easy part. But the hard part is when you go and you pray for those that are persecuting you. When you pray for the ones that are saying bad things about you. When we can pray for that person that's persecuting us. When we can finally love that person that's doing us wrong. We are being more like Jesus than we've ever been in our lives. Because that's what he does. He loves the ones that hate him. The ones that persecuted him. He still loved them. We are to do the same thing. Threefold, this is number three. Love makes a person distinctive from other people. Now, it's a different kind of love. Old lovey-dovey stuff. You walk through Walmart holding hands with your spouse. That's, that's, a, that's a kind of love. It's a different, different kind of love. But the love that we're talking about right here as believers, we have to go above and beyond what others do. To show that godly love that we have, we we got to be a little different. You know, the Bible calls us peculiar peculiar people. That's that's us. We're strange sometimes. Christians can be that way sometimes. Everyone loves his friends. So doing more and going above and beyond means that believers we have to love our enemies. So when we show love towards that person that nobody else can get along with, if you go back in the Bible and you look at at the the guy that that couldn't walk, he'd been he'd been a a paraplegic for his whole life, or, or the lepers that are in the Bible. And you see where God heals those individuals. So prior to that healing, nobody would love that person. Prior to that, that great miracle that took place, nobody loved those people. They wouldn't touch them. They might toss an arm that way or something, but they didn't really like them. So they just moved on. But then here comes Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He just loves them. He just loves them. He heals them. He, he touches them. He makes them whole again. And that's what love does is it makes you whole. If you're missing love in your life, you ain't whole. If you ain't ever experienced the love of Jesus, you ain't whole. Your heart's got a void in it. It's empty. But with Jesus in your heart, it's whole. And you can rejoice and you can show that to others out there God's done more and gone above and beyond than anybody else that we can ever imagine by sending his only begotten son that's love when you send your only begotten son your only son to be born of a virgin and then to to be trained in construction and then go out and preach and teach the way that he taught but all knowing that he is going to die. Sending your only begotten son to die. Can you imagine? I think about these parents that allow their, their children to go into the military. They say that's, I've heard people say that that's like Jesus, or that's like God sending Jesus to die for mankind. No, it's not. It's a great thing. I'll be honest with you. It is a great thing for a parent to agree to allow a child to go into the to military. Admire him for that. But it's not the same as God sending his son. He came to die for our sins so that we will be free from the bondage of sin so that we could have a home in, in heaven for eternity. The soldiers are protecting us right now, protecting our freedoms, our values, all the things that, that are under attack right now. They, yeah, they are protecting that. But Jesus died for our sins. So I, you can't put them two in the same boat. That's apples and oranges right there. So we are to do more and go beyond. And when we do that, it makes us unique to the rest of the world. 
And the fourth thing, and I'll, I'll be quiet with this one. Love perfected. I like that. Love perfected. I've thought about that a lot this week. What is love perfected? And the more I thought about it, and I tried to come up with the, the best definition of what love perfected would be, and I've only come up with one word so far. So y'all taking notes, get ready. Here we go. Love perfected is this, Jesus. That's love perfected. I have no great definition. I have no great big word for it. I, all I can tell you right now that all I know from what I understand about my Bible and the love that Jesus has for me is the, the definition for love, def, uh, love perfected is just Jesus. That's it. That is it. Look at verse 48 again. It says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. The charge here by Jesus is just to be perfect. That's all he's saying. Can we? No. There's no way. There's only been one, and it was him. Can we try? Absolutely. Every day. Every single day we can try. I think I've told you all this before, back when I used to do construction with Robert Moore. He, man, that man was a perfectionist. He could build. He was just so good. And he'd do something, and it looked good, and said, Man, Robert, you are perfect. And he'd always come up to me and hold his hands up. He'd say, You see, he'd say, you see any scars in these hands? I'd say, No, sir. He said, Then I'm not perfect. He's a godly man. Godly man. We're not perfect. But we can try really hard every single day to be as perfect as possible. We can try. The idea of perfection, uh, uh, the idea is perfection of, of purpose. It has to do with an end, an aim, a goal for us. We have a goal to be perfect. The end will be perfection for us. The end is perfection when we get to heaven. That's when we're going to be made perfect, made whole. It means to be, I had some definitions here, to be fit, to be mature, fully grown at a particular stage of growth. And the example they give in the dictionary for it was um, a fully grown child is a perfect child. He has reached his childhood and achieved the purpose of childhood. But that does not mean perfection of character. See, perfection of character would mean that that child would be sinless. And we know that there is none. <laughs> there ain't none. Even kids are not sinless. At some point, she's about as close as they're going to come to being sinless. She ain't learned to tell stories and say no and all that yet, has she? Okay, okay. so she's the closest we got in here. To sinless. But at some point, she's going to lie to you. And she's going to tell you no. She's probably going to smack you. Things that you've learned with Ethan. Yeah, now it's going to come from her. Then we fall into that sin. We fall into, man, that's just us. That's just what we do. Because of Adam and Eve, we're going to sin. But we can still strive for that perfection. The Bible shows three stages of perfection right here. Number one, saving perfection. So Jesus' death has guaranteed forever the perfection of those that are set apart from God. So it's his death on the cross. Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. I love that. Number two, progressive, or this maturing perfection. That's, that's what we do as Christians. From the day we're saved to the day that, that we're called home, we are maturing in our perfection. We're maturing in our salvation. We're growing in our salvation, just like a child does. We watch these children grow up. We watch them grow. Uh, Paisley, it's, it's still hard for me to say. She, she's going to be 10 in May. Abby's going to be 15 in May. They're still growing. It's hard for me to, I can't, I just can't. We're not going to talk about that. They're growing. We are too as Christians. We're maturing in our faith. We're maturing in our relationship with God. That's what we're doing. So we're maturing in our perfection. And we're not going to achieve that perfection until we make it to heaven. That's when that will be achieved. And God reveals to us the things in our life that are, are contrary to his purpose for us. And we are expected to do what? Clean that mess up. That's what he wants us to do. He's revealing our flaws. He's revealing those imperfections. And he's saying, you've got to straighten up. You've got to clean that mess up. That's what he's asking us to do. We're experiencing in this life what Paul calls perfecting holiness. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Having therefore this, these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness 
in the fear of God. That's, that's, that's a lot to add. Boy, I, I just loaded your plate down today, didn't I? So I'm telling you, love your neighbors, love your enemies, and now I'm telling you, clean that mess up. Clean up that filthiness that's in your life. Get away from that sin that's in your life. Y'all got a lot of homework to do. You got, <laughs> we've all got a lot of homework to do. That's what God is telling us. I love this. this. Paul again says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Get rid of it. From all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's a task in itself right there. Cleaning up this old flesh. Paul says we've got to do it. We've got to straighten up. As believers, we should be growing in our faith and maturing as we, we learn more and more and more about God. And as we learn more about Him, we're pushing out the old sin nature, that old flesh stuff. And the third one is redemptive, or what we call resurrected perfection. I like this one. When our lives end here on earth, and we enter into heaven, we've achieved it. When we step foot, when we go right across Jordan, and we step foot. Now, I don't know about y'all, and I, I, if, you, if you've ever heard me, heard what I preached when my, my grandpa passed away. Y'all can step across Jordan if you want to. My grandpa's going to be there in a John boat. He's going to take me across because I don't swim. And that's a long story that me and him's got bear hunting in Canada. So as y'all are walking across Jordan, I'm going to be riding a John boat, just so you know. I'm going to be bottom boat. That's when we achieve perfection. When we finally make it through those pearly gates, when we finally step foot on those streets of gold, when we are finally face-to-face with our Jesus, We've arrived. We've achieved perfection. This, the, the spiritual side, the physical side, whatever you want to say. We're, we're just perfected from head to toe. We're going to have hair. We're going to look good. I figured Mike could smile. We are to, he's, not, he's just playing with the youngins. We're, we're to mature in our relationship with God. We're, to be perfect in this area... Just as God our Father is perfect in this area. That's what we're supposed to be shooting for. Jesus is love perfected. Colossians 3.14 says, And above all these things, put on charity. And we know that that means love. Which is the bond of perfectness. Put on love. Which is the bond of perfectness. Put on love. Right here, you got to smile. You got to show it from here. Put on that love. Maybe today you're struggling in that area of love. I, 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 I'm not going to tell you, raise your hand, but I guarantee you every one of us is struggling somewhere in the area of love. And I'm not talking about with your spouse. I'm talking about with your neighbors. I'm talking about with your enemies. We all struck, struggle with that. And that's just human nature. That's flesh. We're going to. But this morning, I hope somebody got a little encouragement out of that. I know I did. I still yell at that dog, tell her to shut up when I'm trying to study. I hate that dog. I dislike that dog with a passion. That old yelping dog. little yelping mop. But I'm trying awful hard to like that dog. (laughs) So I have two words for you this morning. If you're struggling in the area of loving your neighbor, if you're struggling... In the area of loving your enemy, I've got two words for you. Try love. Try love. That's all I can say. That's the only advice I can give you this morning is try love. Just try it. See what happens. You'd be surprised. Try love. If you've still got your Bibles open, if you will, I want everybody to turn over 1 Corinthians 13 for me. Sorry, I know some of y'all put them up thinking I was going to shut up. Sorry, I bust your bubble. When you get to 1 Corinthians 13, stand with me just a minute. I want to read this. I couldn't think of a better piece of scripture to close out with on Valentine's Day is this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to read the whole thing. The Bible says, Though I speak with tongues, with the tongues of men and of angels and have no charity, again, we're talking about love, I am become as sounding brass of a tinkling symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could 
remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be, there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when... That which is perfect is come, when or then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, understand as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, Charity, these three, <laughs> listen to this, but the greatest of these is charity. The greatest of these is love. So we're going to close, and I'm just going to tell you this. Go love your neighbor. If you've got an enemy, go love your enemy. Jesus sure did, so we sure can. Conley, we dismiss this, please. Amen. All right, we'll see y'all. I'll see y'all in the morning, I guess.